Hello, Jordan. How's it going? What's going on, Rob? Oh, not much. I did just want to, I know we got a lot of stuff to get to today. I just wanted to have to say a quick few words to the audience of the show who last week we, we were broke the great news to uh, listeners of the insurgents that subscribers, uh, the, those, the listeners that subscribe to the podcast over on the insurgents.substack.com would get in on the ground floor of insurgents coin. Yep. And I just wanted to say, maybe we want to pump the brakes on that just ever so slightly. And let's, uh, you know, maybe being a little bit hasty about, you know, what we've been doing with the, the, the funds that we get from people that subscribe to the show. We don't need to get into the details of it. I would say the, the promises though, of all the subscribing listeners becoming instant crypto millionaires, maybe we want to just put that on hold for a little bit. I don't think so, Rob, because I think no? right now okay. you got to buy the dip. You got to buy the dip on Insurgents Coin. I say double down. <laughs> I am moving all my assets into Insurgents Coin where you see loss, I see opportunity. So get in oh, on the damn. ground floor at the insurgents.substack.com. It's time to buy the fucking dip, baby. Listen, fortune favors the bold, okay? You That's don't right. get rich by being by playing it safe. Okay? Yep. I'm and sorry. I, I had a I had a momentary lapse in my crypto bro mindset, and thank you for getting me yeah, back on track. It's that. okay. It's okay. Uh, you know, fiat propaganda is everywhere. Yeah. You need to stay strong. It's okay. And the more subs we get at the insurgents.substack.com, the closer we get to an insurgents coin Super Bowl advertisement so yeah you could make our dream a reality by subscribing to the show and you know you, like i said you, you get on the ground floor of insurgents coin but also you get access to all of our bonus episodes which is really more valuable than money itself yeah and also it must be said everyone remember this that you can if you've got a slurp juice you add the slurp juice to the insurgents coin which instantly doubles the value of the insurgents coin and then you can put right. that in writing that's, That's a guarantee. Right. So good reminder. Yeah, it's a stable. To, it's a stable coin too. And certain exactly. coin is a stable coin, which means it's right there in the name. Lose value. It's yes, right there in the name. Exactly. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. We are speaking this week to Peter, aka the Law Boy, of the Five Four Podcast. His name is Peter, and we yeah definitely knew that before the episode. Yes, absolutely. As you'll know, as you'll hear throughout, we we know his name is Peter. Yes. Peter and uh, and the podcast, they do a really good job breaking down uh, news about the Supreme Court in the U.S. Obviously, that is a major story in the news this week with the um, the leaked decision uh, where the Supreme Court is planning on overturning Roe v. Wade um, and kind of like, uh, which would represent a major, major victory um, decades in the making for these anti-abortion pro-forced birth 
advocates. It's really alarming and scary. And uh, I think it was really informative to be able to talk to Peter about the sort of legal ramifications about this. We talked about the leak, um, the, the the decades of, of court decisions that have led to this moment. I think it's going to be a really good discussion to sort of add a bunch of context to this, this uh, ongoing story, which again is a really, really scary development. Yes. Yes, it is. It's something that advocates have been warning about and people didn't take seriously and they dismissed their, their concerns. And now here we are. And as we get into, there's very little that could stop this, unfortunately, because people didn't take it seriously, because Democrats didn't capitalize on their opportunity in 2009 to codify Roe, uh, because they just let it slip, because RBG didn't retire, because they you know, lost a nomination with um, uh, Merrick Garland. There's all these different things that fed into this, and now here we are. So... You know, as you as a listener and you as a person, there's very I'm little detecting you can some anti-girl well. boss sentiment with RBG, yeah, by the way, and telling her. What, I mean, we talked about that do. last time. Last time Peter yeah. was on the show, and it's like I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck in the middle. It's like, yeah, it's easy to be like Monday morning quarterback after she dies, and now seeing the consequences years later. But also, like, yeah, you really should have that. It wasn't guaranteed that Hillary was going to win. I don't know. It's just it's it's tough. It's not just her fault either. It's definitely like Democrats in general in 09. Yeah. But I think it, re- it represents kind of decades of failure on part of the sort of liberal yes. movement and the Democratic Party. Um, it's one element of that. Yeah. There are things you can do this week. There's things you can do right now. And what you can do right now is donate to abortion funds. So abortionfunds.org takes you to a link of all the abortion funds in the country. If you want to focus on red states and states in the South, that's great. Let's do it. Please, if you can, if you have the means, donate to an abortion fund or multiple abortion funds. And then this weekend, there's protests nationwide uh, to stand in opposition to what the Supreme Court and Republicans are about to do. Go to mobilize.us. You'll see it right there on the front page. Find one in your area and show up this Saturday. Yes. Again, it's a moment when I think it's everyone, I think, is feeling extremely helpless um, about this this it, this seemingly like inevitable decision um which also feels like a sort of a, a really ominous sign of like where things are going uh, culturally in the u.s especially on the verge of of the right kind of retaking uh power in these next couple of election cycles which we get into with peter um let's get to our talk with uh peter aka the law boy of the five to four podcast again it was a really good one i think you're going to enjoy it He will be joining the show right after this. One of the like sure signs, both that it's been this like ongoing, um, pandemic situation for the last two years and i'm just like getting old um is that now i've started to notice like the different the various backyard birds that show up i have like little relationships with all of them and we got a cardinal that stops by a couple times a day i'm always happy to see that little fella it's nice you know they're like little friends that come to visit you i do have to say that is some old people shit yeah yeah exactly shit yeah one thousand percent yeah, absolutely. It was that, that noticing that, and as well, like when you're in like the hardware store, you the closer you get to forty, the more appealing you find that the kitchen knickknacks, the various like yeah, that's true, that that's stuff. True. 
Yeah. That I can relate to. When I'm in a hardware store, every, everything you see, you're like, it, that would be nice. You yeah. Know? That would be nice to have. <laughs> it's it's tricky. Talk about a talk about an, an investment scheme. You walk through that hardware store, you're going to get all the different knickknacks. <laughs> Which which actually is a physical thing that you can physically bring to your home and use that for like a useful purpose. That's not just like an image of an ape or a different creature, which you've no, just not, you've just kind of arbitrarily it, assigned some kind of value. It. You you want it to be fake. You want it to be uh, something you can't touch. Something that cannot physically manifest at all. That's where the value is. Right. Yeah. When you just put all your belief into it, all your wishes into it, similar to fairies. And that's mm-hmm. what gives it the that's what gives it the value. That's what gives it life. That's right. I mean, instant pots have been basically 59.99 for a decade. But bored apes, they've right. been shooting up. They're up millions of percentage. Yeah, the line's supposed to go up. It's not supposed to stay stable. That's not right. the point. <laughs> I'm glad you get the, I know you get these basic economic concepts, so it's good to have someone like who understands the, these things. The wave of stable coins that are just plummeting. And all yeah. these people have been wondering, how could this happen? Yeah, it's literally called to be stable, stable coin. and tied yeah. to the do- the dollar. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just as mystified. Yeah. It, yeah. it turns out that 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 what tethers it to the dollar is one guy uh, <laughs> pressing a big red button in his office all day, <laughs> and if he falls asleep, it's over. The yeah. entire crypto economy crashes. Yeah. yeah. Do we know why why this is crashing? Uh, people do. I don't know. When you say we, do you mean one of us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been reading a little bit about this stuff today. Like part of it, I know is I like there's I know there's people in that world that are accusing people of some kind of nefarious like like uh, activity to either short this or to, to deliberately make this happen. I don't know how true that is or whether that's tied to reality or whether it's just uh, coping for the fact that they've invested their life savings in this like fake thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there are people, uh, powerful people that have dipped their fingers into this kind of thing that are shorting these and are trying to make money off the inevitable collapse. I don't have any doubt of that. Yeah, I, 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 could, I haven't seen anything. I, haven't, I also haven't been following too close, but it seems like every single coin or investment or scheme has just plummeted. And some, and just like going from like over $100 a coin to a dollar or something, which is wild. Uh, I, I'm just kind of confused as to what inspired it because i also know like the the actual standard market is also not doing well i didn't know if they were connected or if this is part of like a broader regulatory concern that they have now that the biden administration has kind of tapped all the agencies to see how they uh, connect to blockchain i think it was the collapse of the collapse of the uh stable coin plus the just plummeting of uh the tech market which maps like perfectly to bitcoin even though People think they're like completely separate things and Bitcoin's like a hedge to the traditional markets. They actually are basically run by the same algorithms, it seems. Yeah. Well, I think the important thing to know is that when it comes to like generally the non-crypto economy, I think we can all be we can all rest assured that none of the corruption or any of the bad practices that led to the financial crisis of 2008 of course, they've knocked off all that kind of behavior, uh, the shady dealings and all that stuff. They've fixed all those issues. So regardless huh. of whatever fluctuations we're seeing in the crypto market, I'm sure that everything else uh, when it comes to the non-crypto uh, econ- economy will be continued to just continue to get better uh, moving forward. So Absolutely. I'm pretty sure that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Not worried at all. I'm sure you both saw the story today. It said uh, adjustable rate mortgages are now like their their highest uh rate since 2008 huh 
Okay. That's that's the si- that's the sign of a healthy economy. People can pay those <laughs> high rates. It's <laughs> well, it's it it offers uh, borrowers flexibility. You know, they don't okay. have to pay as much up front. You have the freedom to pay a little now and then a lot more later, and then potentially when the bubble bursts, you're underwater. But you have that choice. You don't have to live in this monotonous fixed rate mortgage tyranny. Yeah. No, it's it's tedious to have to pay the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> every single month and Live a look, little. If, if this gets too risky then all they have to do is you just take a bunch of those adjustable rate mortgages right you bundle them together right. that way yeah. the risk is distributed across them God, that's um, so and smart. then it's in one product right and if that becomes mm-hmm. too risky you t- you combine those with other bundles and you just keep doing that until the risk goes away gotcha yeah. okay they should come up with a name for for those um you know all that debt you're kind of collateralizing. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it would be. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. Yeah. I'm. I'm glad you're recording this, Rob, because these are really good ideas that we should. Let's float this right yeah. up to the top. Yeah. 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 Get some kind of like a default swap kind of situation. I don't know something going <laughs> right. on like that. Um, no, it's really good, especially here in Canada. You know, uh, our housing market also very stable. Uh, I think it's totally not a troubling sign that houses have like doubled and tripled in value over the last uh over the last couple of years basically impossible for the vast majority of people to find housing um it, we're in like full like wheelbarrow full of cash like weimar republic era stuff when it comes to our housing market and again that's just going to keep that's just going to keep going up so if you're in you're you can just hold yeah. on to that and, well, yeah. look, some some people are winners and my my parents bought um, a house in the suburbs of Pennsylvania uh, for $6 in 1989, <laughs> and they just sold it for $28 million. So Yeah, there we go. Nice. We're just having too much, something... too many avocado toasts and everything. It makes it too difficult to have that kind of right. sensible investment strategy. There's really nothing stopping anybody listening to this from following that same path. Like You just have to go and look for bargains. Yep. You shouldn't just buy the first house you see. It's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. You save up over a summer of like mowing lawns and stuff, and then you're mm-hmm. you're good yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah, put on you put on a full suit, a three piece suit, and you you walk around town looking for deals. Yeah, it's our generation just doesn't want to work. No, you know, they don't want to do basic, that. They don't right? want they don't yeah. want to get out there, and knock on doors, <laughs> shake hands. They want everything handed to them. They don't want to put in you know the time and effort of of you know. Yeah signing away or signing a, a contract and a mortgage deal you didn't read with you know some 30 percent apr it's okay just just yeah. just take the time and do it <laughs> yeah put down the anime you know uh, <laughs> pick up pick up a lease <laughs> thank you we're waiting for someone to say it uh-huh first do we talk about gaming in between is that adding a difficulty level to the transition <laughs> um yeah. we can talk about gaming now or do a gaming intermission uh later it doesn't doesn't matter to me either way but you are a gamer though right Lobo, I, I believe we established yeah. this yeah I, I game i do um i've been i've been doing a lot of really casual shit lately though like just playing civilization a lot and okay. uh shit like that uh played a lot of hades this year uh until okay. my until my nintendo switch uh joy con uh broke and Oh, no. Since then, I have played, played zero Hades because it sucks now because my dude's always running upward. And <laughs> I've, that's why I transitioned back to civilization and just casual shit. Uh, so I, I've, right. I have not like I have not embraced the new generation yet. I don't have a PS5 uh, supply chain. You guys are familiar. 
uh, with supply chain issues. Uh, it's been. I have a P- I have a PS5, so that sounds like a you problem. Well, that's look. Some some people <laughs> game so hard that they that they can overcome the supply chain. Uh, but I'm not one of those people. I tried very hard for a month when they, when they first came out to get one, and then I gave up forever because I was so sad and frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will I will eventually try again, uh, and hopefully by then Joe Biden will have fixed this whole this whole problem. It's kind of like he doesn't want gamers to thrive. That's the takeaway here. Yeah, like he's doing this intentionally. Yeah, what is this China? Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's, he's trying United to blame China, but it's, it has his fingerprints all over it. Every yeah. there should be a PS Five in every home. <laughs> Look, I mean, all of like all of the companies that make the chips, right? They're U.S. based for the most part, and they could pass like the big uh, semiconductor assistance bill that they're that they were talking about, like the gamers the gamers help bill. Um, I forget. I don't know what it's called. Um, That's what it's called. But there's there's a bill uh, <laughs> that could save gaming, and Joe Biden's just sitting on it, doing jack shit, blaming Joe yeah. Manchin. It's, it's bullshit, uh-huh. dude. Unbelievable. Yeah, just pick up the pen, sign it. I'd, I'd say it's more important than, than student debt cancellation. Yeah, I ten, think we get all agree. Ten, I speak for ten all grand, of ten grand of student cancellation that's means tested. You might as well just give me a PS Five. I say, what are they going to spend those, those those savings on in the first place? Just uh-huh. get the middleman. Yep. <laughs> give me give me Fully a PS Five. Give me a V bucks V bucks gift card. I'm good. Yeah, there we go. Rob, what, what you, have you been playing lately? Uh, I know you've been trying to get me into Rust. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, still, I'm getting there. I'm still on the Fortnite grind. I also started picking up No Man's Sky, getting back into No Man's Sky, having fun exploring the galaxy. Is it true that that's stuff. good now? Because I've heard yeah. that. Well, that's okay. the thing is, like with No Man's Sky, the, it famously like really overpromised the game yes. that they were giving to people originally. And people, when they got this game, it was kind of cool, but a lot of the features that had been kind of like implicitly promised as part of this uh, game weren't really there. And now after a couple of years they've been consistently just adding all that stuff to the game so now at this point when you get it it's pretty much the game that they were kind of suggesting it was going to be off the bat before they when they and they launched so it's been kind of like a come from behind story but it's very fun to just kind of pick up and kind of relaxing to go and, and yeah. go and fly around find minerals and explore and cool stuff and now you can have other people roaming around in your universe and you, there's pirates and all kinds of crazy stuff that you can do now so that's been fun so you're colonizing space. Pretty much, yeah. I just I tried I try not to do the colonizer stuff. I try to be friendly with all the creatures that I encounter, but you know, mm-hmm. you just go and you're immediately just blasting big craters in the surface of the planet and extracting all the minerals and stuff. There's wow. no way of getting gotcha. around that. The well meaning colonizer. Gotcha. I've heard yeah, that story exactly. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're I'm going yeah. full like British Empire. We're bringing civilization, we're building railroads and hospitals and all these places, and they should be very thankful. All these creatures. <laughs> Canada, the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I've been playing Rust lately. I I can't remember if I told you how I got this going, but I wanted a private server because the player base for Rust is notoriously toxic, like a lot of games. Uh, and there's also a ton of racist people that play on the public servers, and I didn't want to do that. So I figured out how to do a private server. So I, and I knew nothing about this. So I like learned basic Linux and aws to create a a virtual private cloud and have it hosted like a cloud server that people who aren't awful can join so we've opened that up to like the tyt community we've got like 30 or 50 or so people who are on that server now and it's it's nice because everyone just kind of cooperates and instead of just 
PvP and stealing everyone's stuff, everyone just cooperates, shares surplus resources, helps each other. It's, it's fun. And it's like, I like playing that game when I'm, I don't have to worry about some psycho racist kid breathing down my neck. Yeah. You're doing like rust communism now. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so you, Law Boy, you had a transition in my, you wanted to kind of oversee the transition from this talk to Roe, right? You, you specifically wanted to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, I just want to say it up front. I'm glad that we've got three guys talking about Absolutely. abortion yeah, rights that's everyone, all in one place. Yeah. Um, not crowded out uh, by women or anyone else uh, directly impacted by abortion. Um, I, I think this is it. It feels it feels fresh to me. Yeah, yeah. The world really needed three guys to sit down and really hash this stuff out, and so but, I'm glad that we're absolutely. I was telling Rob earlier, so I had thought about that, but I also looked at our listener. Uh, metrics and the demographics of our listener base and 80% or so are male, which isn't surprising because it's hosted by two guys and there are obviously women and non-binary people listen to or the shows and that's great and we, we love them but we also like want to also use this as an opportunity to really stress that this is a moment where guys actually should be stepping up and not taking you know at like protests and stuff not taking the mic and like oh this is my story but like there are people who are directly impacted by this that need your support whether it's donating to abortion funds whether it's showing up to protests whether it's just being there for people who are directly impacted by this and are dealing with a hard time right now like we want to stress throughout this episode that this is a moment where people who aren't directly impacted by it step up and this is this is this is a fight you absolutely have to be a supportive figure in yeah, well said. Yeah, and I think it is uh, going to be good to get your perspective, Law Boy, about the actual, because this is when you talk about the assault on abortion rights uh, right now, it's happening in the Supreme Court, which is something that you uh, cover extensively. And so getting your feedback about this this process and what has been happening with that, I think is going to be really integral. So Ro, Law Boy, take it. Yeah. yeah. How, how, what, do fix, wanna, what do you guys want to know? Well, okay, so, so I mean, obviously, the really horrifying news um, from this week is that um, the leaked ruling on the part of the Supreme Court, who uh, apparently will be uh, striking down Roe v. Wade, obviously a long-standing fear on the part of reproductive justice advocates for a really long time. I guess I that's I think that's a good place to start is about this leak because of course that's the main thing that the right wing media really immediately fixated on like right not this like drastic assault on uh, reproductive rights that's going to affect millions of of women as well as trans and non-binary people um, that's been kind of generations in the making that will cost lives this will kill people um, it's really really dangerous and scary but of course right wing political and media figures uh, immediately fixated on this leak. So I yeah. guess I would just ask you, from someone who has covered the Supreme Court for a long time, how unprecedented is this? And do you have any theories um, about where this has come from? I know there's a number of people that have weighed in on this. What do you make of this leak? And what do you make of this this ruling in general? We'll get to that as well. Well, the, I mean, the leak is unprecedented in the sense that a draft opinion, to my knowledge, has never leaked. Um, but leaks from the court are actually relatively common. It's not uncommon that the outcomes of cases, the basic outcomes, are leaked. Um, it happens with some frequency. Even since this leak, there have been more leaks about the state of the case. So we know, for example, that there are still five votes to overturn Roe, that that has not changed despite the fact that the draft that leaked was uh, dated February something. So. You know, leaks are not uncommon. It's it's not something that's unheard of. As for where it came from, 
We don't know. Um, my my best guess remains that it's that it's a disgruntled liberal. Um, now the that was the initial thinking, and that kind is kind of why, like simplest possible explanation. Yes, kind of thing, exactly. Right? Um, now I'm not super committed to that explanation. Um, there are some compelling theories as to why it might be a conservative. A lot of people pointed out that if the five vote majority is sort of tenuous, leaking it might put some pressure on any wavering justice to stick to the plan. Um, It would make backing out look kind of like cowardly, right? Um, I don't think that's the least convincing thing, but it does feel like a little bit too cute to me. Like, I I don't understand why a conservative would leak that, uh, would leak it with that in mind. Why rock the boat if you feel like you have five votes, even if it's a shaky five votes? Um, But who knows? It, it, It it's perfectly reasonable to think that that might have happened um it's also like sort of obvious if you look at the course of um quote-unquote leaks to media about the court it it's pretty clear that conservatives speak to the press more than liberals um uh, you know they're they're uh they they enjoy some gamesmanship and um perhaps are just a little bit less uh institutionalist than the libs uh, uh and so i think you know I think there's a decent shot it came from the right. I wouldn't be shocked either way, frankly. Um, my basic position on this is that it just doesn't matter that much. Um, you know, where the the real yeah. issue at hand is that they are they are poised to overturn Roe v. Wade, and that you know the the focus on the leak is obviously a distraction to some degree. Yeah, you've seen a lot of outrage from the right trying to act like this is some grave, serious issue. When in reality, all it is is we know that it's going to happen. You know, a month two months before it does potentially right. i mean there's some people who think that roberts is going to be able to sway a uh, conservative justice or two but that's i just i don't see that happening this is everything they want especially gorsuch kavanaugh uh and, and oh, what the fuck's her name um yeah, amy coney barrett yeah 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 the handmaids i mean this is like this is like literally her dream and like i don't think Th- thomas and certainly not alito they don't seem like definitely not alito but thomas doesn't even seem like somebody who would switch no no certainly not i I mean i think the only hope would be someone like kavanaugh who um has shown some sort of some moments of pragmatism in the past um but i think that roe is too central to the conservative legal movement's mission to really be for them for him to back off um but yeah they didn't they didn't put him in place they didn't put kavanaugh in place they don't have this whole like federalist society system in place to get supreme court justices that are gonna that are gonna balk at the final moment of their final victory you know that's not what this has been about right right no no you're i mean I, i totally agree with that i think that if you look at like the course of the conservative legal movement it started in the 70s and picked picked up steam in the 80s in large part because in the 60s, um, and then leading into the early 70s, there were these huge civil rights wins at the Supreme Court. And so the right sort of like fosters this movement to counter it. And Roe v. Wade was sort of last straw, right? It drops in 1973. And as a result, like a huge amount of focus within the movement is targeting Roe in particular. They believe that it's sort of symbolic of the rot within the uh the institution and the law and the liberal bias etc cetera, etc cetera. so it doesn't feel like a moment where they're likely to blink 
but I suppose you, you never know. W- would you mind clarifying? Like, I don't know if this is just for me because I'm I'm Canadian, and like I understand that Roe v. Wade has kind of has is the central law that has made abortion accessible um, in the United States. But would you mind just like explaining to me and to anyone else that might be listening and is and is uh, not sure of the exact details of this? exactly what it is about Roe and how it interacts with uh, laws around this and how it did make abortion accessible? Yeah. So Roe is predicated in the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Um, essentially, there's there's a due process clause in the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is one of the Reconstruction era amendments uh, coming out of uh, the post-Civil War era. And the way that it's been interpreted is that it protects fundamental liberties that Americans have. And so the basic question is, is abortion one of those fundamental liberties? The court in Rose said, yes, it is, because it's sort of subsumed within this general right to privacy that the court has found in other cases. Conservatives always hated that. They thought the right to privacy was overwrought, that it was essentially, you know, judicial activism, that it's not Um, rooted in the text of the Constitution or anything else, and that it's just sort of judges policy preferences. Um, So the way that it has played out is that it nullified any rule, any law in the states that outlawed abortion, right? With it, uh, with I mean, that's the gist of it. It's not not quite that simple. You can regulate late term, term abortions, et cetera, much more readily. But that's the fundamental holding in a row, that there is a right to abortion because people have a right to privacy, uh, and that is within the 14th Amendment. And conservatives have hated that because they just view it as sort of like a, I mean, both politically and literally liberal uh, interpretation of the 14th Amendment. So how does this intersect with Planned Parenthood versus Casey? I mean, if this is overturned, that just completely undoes that case as well, right? Yeah. So Casey essentially limited Roe. Um, Roe was predicated on like this trimester framework, and Casey then sort of shifts to a viability framework. Pretty minor distinctions in some way, um, but it essentially made it such that after Casey, states can pretty aggressively regulate abortion after the sort of like 23rd, 24th week of a pregnancy. Um, Previously, it had been a few weeks longer. Um, And so that was like the real difference. Casey also creates a a different framework for interpreting um, laws and regulations after viability, the undue burden framework. Um, We don't have to get into it too much, but, you know, it, it sort of limited Roe. It was in a lot of ways a huge win because it upheld Roe, it didn't overturn it, but in other ways a loss because it was really materially limiting limiting and, um, you know, continues to be, although people talk about Roe v. Wade, Casey is really the case that defines the right as we understand it. So now with this potentially being overturned, a lot of people are saying this is just Schumer today said it's open season on American freedoms. Could you talk about the risks this poses? If this case is totally overturned. We just throw out Roe. What that might mean for other things, other things in Americans' private lives, like the, the contraception, birth control, uh, even uh, potentially marriage equality. Uh, could you talk about like where we might go from here? Yeah. So the, the most obviously targeted rights are going to be those that are also within this 14th Amendment due process framework. Um, that includes the right to contraception uh, that was protected in a case called Griswold, Griswold v. Connecticut in the 60s. Um, it includes 
the ruling in Lawrence v. Texas, which upheld uh, the uh, well, which struck down anti-sodomy laws, and it also includes uh, marriage equality. Now, marriage equality also had an equal protection component, which is you know a different clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. So there's this sort of like legal argument that it's a little bit different, um, but you know the that that was a controversial decision too. That went five four uh, with a much less conservative court. So, yeah, you know, this this stuff is all um, likely to be targeted. The only real question is, are there, is there a conservative appetite on the court to go really hard really quickly, right? Do they want to go at all this stuff right away? Or do they want to sort of take their time? Do they want to be cautious? Um, you certainly have a few votes at least to be pretty aggressive with some of the stuff, I'm sure. Um, whether you can bring Kavanaugh Barrett in even Gorsuch on some issues might be a little bit tough. Um, hard to say. I don't love to make predictions with this shit because you never know. There's a, there's a ton of variables. Um, but I I would say that it's insane to think that like gay marriage is safe. It's that's a, that's absolute fucking nonsense. Yeah, I mean that's something we've talked about a lot recently. So as like you see the the assault on trans rights that's happening right now as well, which is also happening in the courts. Um, but about it's been a reminder of the ways that these like reactionary social conservative types in the U.S. certainly haven't forgotten about the sort of the what they perceive as this loss by the sort of normalization of gay rights and and the uh, legalization of of gay marriage and these things like that. But I know that there is certainly a a part of that community that is well that is has not given up on these things and is is determined still to. Um, claw back these rights that have been granted to um to uh you know for gay marriage uh and in using the sort of trans rights issue as sort of a wedge issue that um you know they feel a little bit more comfortable now dipping their toes into but don't not a doubt at all that they're going to continue to come after rights uh for other marginalized groups and this is this is just more of a early sort of warning sign about these culture wars that have been on sort of on the back burner for a while that they do intend to revisit yeah i mean it's you know the idea that like the gay marriage fight is in the rearview mirror is um, is something that I think a lot of people just sort of take on instinct um, because it feels like the cultural battle has been won. And it's just not true in the courts, right? Um, you know, the you look at the, the composition and you're trying to find uh, five votes to uphold gay marriage, and I don't really know where they are. Um, someone would have to essentially completely change their position as we understand it right now. Um, I, it's, you know, it's, it's fucking bleak. I, I, I like can't believe that there are so many people uh, on the right and, and in the center who are just like, well, come on. Like, they're not going to do that. It's like, dude, yeah, they yeah. just voted against it in 2015. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, in a way, there's this sense. I think this has been something that liberals have told themselves about, you know, uh, they've said that this is about abortion, but they say this about a lot of these these kind of culture war issues, broader culture war issues, which is that, oh, they don't really mean to do these things. Like, I think for liberals for a long time, they've just they've been able to fundraise over the idea of protecting abortion rights while not actually doing anything to enshrine the protection into law, like famously under Obama, under Clinton, where there's opportunities to do this and not leave it as this precarious um, uh, right that's being upheld by these court decisions. Uh, they've they've abdicated every responsibility to actually enshrine that into law, um, because I think it works well for them that they can continue to fearmonger about it and fundraise over it. And I think there's kind of an element of of these these powerful liberals that 
never really believed that these things were under threat, that they felt the right were kind of using it in the same way as just this kind of culture war wedge issue that they fundraised off and won elections over, but didn't actually have any intent to actually go after. And now I think there's the frightening thing for, for people are realizing this, like, oh, no, these people are quite serious. They're like, hey, right. they're extremely serious about rolling back these rights. Maybe there are some kind of grifters in the conservative movement that have just used this as a wedge issue to get elected or to raise money off of. But there's also quite a lot of true believers who really do um, um, have every intention of rolling back these and other rights uh, in terms of these culture war issues. And I think that's like, this is a sign that right now that this isn't just the situation of the, the dog that caught the car or whatever. Um, and that they don't know what to do with it. Like they've been preparing for decades for this moment, um, including waging armed struggle. Okay. Like this has been a, a consistent yep. decades long effort, um, both inside and outside the legal system to get to this moment. And it's not just some kind of, you know, culture war dog whistle these people are very serious about this and that's becoming clearer and clearer uh, the closer they get to actually getting this result yeah absolutely i mean as for what was in the democrats head over the heads over the past like you know 15 20 years about this stuff i don't really know i i always sort of assume that a lot of them have a sort of politics of inevitability mindset where like you know moral arc of the universe bends towards justice and things will just sort of naturally get better and so once something yeah. once they win They've won, right? And and uh, and it's not going to regress because that's not how history works in their minds. Um, meanwhile, like the March for Life is just like the biggest event in Washington every fucking year, <laughs> and the Democrats yeah. are looking at that, thinking like, hmm, um, not realizing that it's not just fucking symbolism that those people want Roe Roe overturned. Right, and they, they they've been telegraphing it, and you mentioned their. Are probably some grifters on the right who just you know want to use it because it, it it mobilizes people maybe for electoral gains but that's also kind of where it started it was it was uh, you know a, a a brainstorming call after those like you mentioned those civil rights defeats that the right encountered they're saying how do we get people back on our side well we don't want to be known as segregationists um and it was a few religious figures and right-wing consultants on a conference call and someone suggested abortion and one of the people this is a really like bizarre history but one of the people who really helped popularize it this this anti-choice crusade uh it was like a, a conspiracy theorist and his son and the son has later come out and said he regrets it but it was like literally just conspiracy culture pushing this agenda for for years until it really helped uh the right you know turn it into one of their core issues and reagan was really yeah. big on that but it just the conspiracy roots of this are just so bizarre and i just i only learned about this recently yeah i mean look abortion was not um was not an issue in the republican party it was not a big issue for them until the late 70s right until post row um they realized they could sort of grab on to a certain energy mobilize uh, evangelicals, and since then, evangelicals have been a big part of their base. You know that, in our minds, I think evangelicals and Republican pol politics are synonymous. But it hasn't always been like that. That's something that happened because of abortion. Yeah, and um, you know, I guess something I wanted to add to to what you were pointed out at the beginning of the show, Jordan, right? talking about um, you know, we were joking around about being a bunch of guys talking about this, but I, you know, I do really think it is important that regardless of of how close this issue affects you to 
be extremely adam- adamant and clear about this stuff. Like we've talked about before, I think there's like if you're on the if you count yourself as being kind of on the left as well, I think there's been kind of a, there's a tendency maybe among uh, men especially sometimes to view this as being kind of like a niche issue or a, an issue that doesn't really intersect with uh, class issues, which is obviously not the case. Um, we see uh, when these abortion rights are under attack, it's primarily, you know, um, the poor women of color that are affected first and foremost by a lot of these things. And this is true, by the way, in Canada as well. A lot of Canadians take these moments when they're happening in the United States to kind of gloat or, or about how uh, enlightened we are. And while, um, you know, abortion rights are fairly secure in Canada, it is still decriminalized. It's not fully enshrined into law. Um, abortion is also like extre- uh, much more difficult to access in non-urban centers and primarily, again, primarily the poor rural people and indigenous women are the first people that uh, are on the front lines in Canada of not being able to access abortion. So not something that people should gloat about here. Um, like I was saying, it's it's a very serious class issue, uh, regardless of where you're coming from. Um, yeah, as, as well, just as like, as a sign of uh, when you talk about the rise of fascism that we're kind of seeing right now, um, this kind of strict devotion to like this hierarchical family union is kind of a, a sign of that and a sign of this kind of like crisis moment. So the idea that, that I think people on the left have kind of uh, been uncomfortable talking about this, I think there's there's a, we've kind of allowed people to be squishy on this issue, uh, which I think has been not very helpful. A lot of what we're seeing right now as well in terms of the reaction to this are these protests. A, a couple of things I wanted to point out about this. First of all, like you're see, you, there was protests in LA. It, it was very alarming to see like a DHS show up to these like pro-abortion protests. Uh, protests, reproductive rights protests in LA, uh, and wondering like what, how they're involved in, in keeping the peace in these kinds of situations. We're also seeing, of course, these protests that are taking place uh, outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house, which of course has kicked off a lot of controversy as well. If we thought the leak of the Supreme Court uh, ruling was <laughs> yeah. uh, causing a lot of consternation, uh, the idea that protesters have actually gathered outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house and have been protesting out there has set off a whole other wave of sort of hand wringing. What, what do you make of that? Do you think that's is that a sign of of uh, the intolerant left uh, intimidating the justices and interfering in the legal process, or what do you make of uh, what do you make of the protests outside of Brett Kavanaugh's I think it's, house? It's nice that those uh, beautiful colonials that all the justices seem to live in are getting some some press. Yeah. You know. Um, I look the there's a relatively long tradition of protesting outside the houses of public officials, and um, I think you have a couple things working together in the sort of reaction to it. One is like pure bad faith right wing shit, where they're just looking to distract. Another is like this kind of gullible liberal idea that the court is separate from politics. So like, why would you be protesting outside of Sam Alito's house? Uh, he is simply doing law, and that's not politics, and you can't influence uh, a judge to rule the way that uh, you want them to because that's what you do to politicians, right? Um, and I think that all of that sort of misses the basic point, which is these are extremely powerful people who have uh, a lot of influence over the lives of people in this country and people outside of this country, for that matter. And yeah you should be allowed to go relatively close to them and say, hey, this sucks, dude. Uh, and <laughs> I don't think it's much more complicated than that. The reaction from, like, the media, just, like, just the fucking <laughs> most cowardly, uh, uh, like, 
pathetic shit yeah. I've ever seen. Um, you know, there's been like no violence that I've seen uh, in these settings. Nothing that even like looked like a threat. And everyone is sort of clutching the pearls about it as if someone was like hurling Molotovs in fucking Kavanaugh's living room window or something. It's not what happened. There's just a bunch of peaceful protests um, like on the public streets outside of Supreme Court justices' homes. Who gives a shit? Yeah, the the Fox coverage was funny, if not sad. Uh, they presented this footage of, you know, candlelight vigils and, you know, very peaceful protests with commentary <laughs> like, we, we didn't even know if we wanted to show you this footage. It's so horrifying. When it's like just people standing there, the one at Alito's house, like the crowd was even vetted. That's like nothing... Nothing's happening here that's dangerous or inappropriate or bad. It's just, it's totally scaremongering and bad faith. But also you're seeing the same people who supported January 6th now come out and say, oh, this this absolutely should not be. This is disgusting. Like Josh Hawley, who, you know, gave that iconic uh, fist bump to the January 6th crowd or fist pump to the crowd before uh, they rioted, later went on to sell merch of him giving that fist pump. He's now leading the charge, saying, oh, this this shouldn't happen. This is disgusting. They, they, you should not protest uh, justices at their home. Like, get, pick, make, yeah. pick a side. What do, you, what do you want? But ultimately, just because of what people are protesting. If this was the other way around, well, they would love it. Look, the, in, in, Holly's, in Holly's mind, look, this is about the substantive issues. Yes, you can protest the fraudulent election because Trump won. Uh, you cannot protest Roe v. Wade, no matter how peacefully, because abortion bad, right? Mm. Um, that's just sorry, Jordan, but you know there are there is a difference between good things and bad yeah. things. You know, it's funny because I was told this this was like the populist the populist Republican that was going to really like speak to economic needs of people and i mean that's it's almost trite to point this out the hypocrisy in the conservative movement about this but it worth saying again that these these so-called pro-life conservatives of course have like staked so much of their political capital on the protecting the lives of the unborn and how the unborn has become this this uh way on the right to signal to kind of like virtue signal and talk about how they they're they're standing up for this horrible injustice and while of course at the same time opposing every single other economic benefit that could possibly help people once they are born of course where you know they are against daycare they're against public school food stamps welfare of course they don't want women to have pre or postnatal care they don't want any family planning they don't want any contraceptives well if you put a kid in daycare though then he be- he learns to become reliant on the state you know <laughs> that's it yeah. um our hardiest children are not in daycare. They are just sort of milling about on lawns somewhere, you know, and they take care of themselves or they learn to or they or they uh, they die uh, and the stronger children survive. Uh, that's that's the vision of the world that a Holly has, I think. The the other uh, really dangerous uh, and offensive and inappropriate protest occurred at Susan Collins' house. Susan Collins has positioned mm, yeah, herself. Yeah, that's terrifying. Horrifying. Bit of a content, Tri- yeah, content warning, warning here to yeah. the listeners. Yeah. This is really dangerous. Proceed stuff. with caution. So she is somebody who has positioned herself as a, you know, a, a pro-choice uh, Republican, and in the Kavanaugh, especially, turns out she's uh, she's just a pussy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the Kavanaugh debate uh, during his confirmation hearings, uh, she really stressed that she needed to make sure that Heath felt that Roe was settled law. And that, 
you know, he, he assured her that it was. And now, now she's like mortified that he could, uh, go against what he told her. Same thing with Murkowski. So Collins also won't support codifying Roe, which we saw yeah. today. Not so and horrified that she'll do recently. anything to protect. This exactly. Yeah. So, you know, not doing anything, but protesters chalked, please support codifying Roe or please protect Roe, something to that extent, chalk on her sidewalk. And she called the police uh, and mm. the police determined it was very colorful and intricate, uh, a colorful, and intricate chalk design, but it wasn't threatening despite her claims. Uh, and this is just another instance of people uh, trying to control the opposition and trying to, uh, you know, silence people's uh, uh, thoughts, their their beliefs, their activism, whatever, uh, that it just it's just it's totally bad faith. And she when she's when she's presented with that opportunity, her and Murkowski, they both balked. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, they don't fucking believe in anything. Right. They just sort of want to maintain the optical illusion that they uh, support women's rights in some way. Um, and I, I don't mean to be gender essentialist. I really do think that they don't care about <laughs> trans and non-binary people, yeah. um, even aesthetically. Um, you know, there, there's so much going on with like the Collins shit. That, and I'm, I'm not like a political analyst, you know, I'm a, I'm a law and court guy, but it's hard not to look at them as just completely bad faith actors to the point where like paying them any real attention, like pinning any hope on them is just a waste of your emotional energy. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, forget codifying Roe. They they are, I think, pretending to be indignant about being like, quote unquote, lied to by Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, um, who, by the way, look, I I don't think that the, those folks perjured themselves. Um, I think that they very cagely said, yeah, Rose, like, you know, settled law without going on to say anything about what that would mean for how they would rule on it. Um, when I heard that shit, I, it felt like doublespeak to me. Anyone who understands what the confirmation hearing process is like would, should, should be interpreting it as doublespeak. So, I, Lawyers are famously good at this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the whole fucking point of the process, right? I think that this whole, like, they were lying is a way to deflect responsibility from the people who uh, voted them in rather than, you know, rather than sort of accepting that, oops, like, yeah, we put people on the court who we knew had a very good chance of overturning Roe. They sort of act as if they are flabbergasted oh my god they they told us that they wouldn't and it's like no they they really didn't they just sort of danced around your question for long enough where where you felt like you were satisfied the other thing that we're talking about here because we're talking about the some like uh, ostensibly uh pro-choice republicans but also of course uh joe manchin himself also weighed on, the, on this today and is saying like ooh, no actually even though they're talking about you know, codifying Roe into law before any of this can take effect, and Manchin is saying, oh, no, the, 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 what they're talking about is goes way too broad, and I just can't ever support anything like that. And that leads people to this, this ultimately, the, the conversation about you know liberals and the Democratic Party and how what they're able to actually do about this. Because now you have Democratic, the Democratic Party, who were once again kind of saying, like, well, you just got to vote. Right, it's got to vote even harder, and it seems like the the p more people are kind of waking up to this, I this the reality that like you were in charge, you were you can you have the presidency, 
and the House and the Senate, and this is happening while this is going on. So what purpose do we have to vote for the Democratic Party? Like I pointed out before, um, there's been plenty of opportunities for them to codify this into law. Uh, Obama famously promised to do this, like the first thing that he did as soon as he got elected and did not do this. So now you have them kind of making this argument to people about how this is just another example of why you need to vote blue, you need to vote for the Democratic Party. And I think less and less people are being compelled by that when this is going on while they are while they're in power. Yeah, um, I mean, look the 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 mo of the of the Dems has has uh, for many years just been sort of to chastise voters for not voting for them rather than like offer something in exchange. And the I think the reality of it is like I don't want to be unpragmatic, you know. Like if you put me in the White House, I don't exactly know how I how you get Joe Manchin to to um, turn the corner on some of these issues. But yeah. the point is that like. If what the Democratic Party wants to say, and what I think they want to say, is, hey, um, we have sort of been outmaneuvered for many years uh, on many different fronts and now find ourselves without any real power, despite the fact that we have the White House, the House, and the Senate. And we don't know what to do about it. So, like, if you could maybe put more of us in power, that might work, but I don't know. Um, I just don't think that they have answers here. Um, They have gotten absolutely wrecked on the courts for decades decades and the fundamental problem wasn't like some one error here or there it was that they like didn't understand the conservative legal movement they didn't understand that there was like a concerted political effort to uh, to subsume the judiciary by conservatives by republicans and by the time they realized it it was way too late and conservatives had the courts and now a democratic president can't do shit um, and I don't know what they can sort of say at this point to explain themselves. It's just sort of like, well, um, you know, we got absolutely fucking schooled uh, for decades on end. Uh, apologies to all of our voters. That's that I think is the real message from the Democratic Party. That's what I hear when they say vote. Um, I, I, I see a, a party without any answers on this shit. Well, and you have like Nancy Pelosi literally campaigning for anti-choice Democrats like currently at this moment like that uh, the Henry Quillar mm-hmm. who's under FBI investigation who has like steadfastly voted against the Democrats own agenda and is like not in favor of abortion rights and now you have Nancy Pelosi on one side of the on one hand saying oh yeah vote for Democrats so we can protect these rights while simultaneously uh, campaigning for an anti-choice Democrat over a pro-choice woman of color. That's what that's what too much ice cream does to a motherfucker, you know? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. A, a lot of the ways we talk about this issue, again, it's, I think you realize the way that, like... Um, it's been it's been just decades now of this this pro-forced birth movement just uh, influencing the rhetoric and influencing politics in such a way that we're all affected by it, you know? And you, even using thing, using words like pro-choice and pro-life is giving into their kind of framing when it comes to this issue. Even the way I think, uh, I mean, a lot of the, when I've seen this kind of like liberal defense of abortion rights that kind of starts with saying like, well, you know, no one wants to have an abortion or right. no they one be wants safe more abortion or some shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Using that kind of framing in order to appeal to people that are kind of squishy on this issue while simultaneously contributing to the stigmatization of it and suggesting that it is something like wrong or immoral. When again, if we're talking about people that are on the left, it should just be 
unequivocally supporting, you know, abortion rights as well as, you know, reproductive rights, contraception, and all the maternal health care, which should also be part of a comprehensive health care package, full stop, without any equivocation or any kind of, like, hand-wringing about it. Um, this has been, again, this is, this is a way that, like, liberals have been influenced, I think, over the last several decades by the discourse on this, by people who have had uh, these these exact designs in mind the entire time. Yeah, I mean, the, the concessions to right-wing framing go even farther in, like, the legal context where it's a very common refrain among liberal legal academics and lawyers that the basis for Roe is, is particularly weak. Um, now, I don't think that's the case. I think that that belief is the result of, like, absorbing conservative legal propaganda uh, about what the law should be, about originalism and all those concepts that um, that should be sort of outright rejected by the left. And so as a result, you, you ha you've had people, um, RBG even, when she was like, when she was a younger lawyer, um, basically said that Roe would have been stronger if it if there was um, if it was an equal protection case rather than a due process case, and that sort of idea has been extremely popular uh, in liberal circles for many years, and contributed to conservative lawyers um, sort of feeling like they could win this, right? Like even the liberals don't buy it, even they know that Roe is weak legally. Um, that concession is, you know, I, I don't want to say it's what caused this, but it certainly prevented the le legal left from mobilizing a real robust defense of Roe. Yeah, but what, what could be done now? I mean, that that's the thing. It's, it, there's a huge mobilization this weekend, and I would encourage people to show up because it's the right thing to do. If you go to mobilize.us, you could see where one is in your area. And like I said earlier, donating to abortion funds is key. But I mean, outside of that, what could they even do? This vote rhetoric doesn't do anything for anybody who's going to be a victim of trigger laws when this decision comes down. So it's tough right. not to feel hopeless in this moment, but also you want to keep people fired up because this, this is an injustice. But tr what can be done? Yeah, I mean, that's why, like, you know, donating to abortion funds is so important, right? Um, and it's such a shame that, like Democrats don't have the links with their base that Republicans do. You know, the GOP, like you go to fucking rnc.org slash donate and you're like funding militias like directly, you know, <laughs> um, the DNC doesn't touch their base and it's it, it forces us to sort of operate around them. And um, I mean, abortion funds are like, frankly, I think the best thing to be donating to right now. And really the only thing you can do to sort of help blunt the blow that is coming because it does seem like it's coming. Um, I, I don't think that there's like, that there are like good short-term solutions other than that. Um, that's, you know, and I'm, I'm not an organizer, so I don't want to speak to the organizing side of it, but I've just been fucking <laughs> pumping as much money as I feel comfortable, comfortable uh, pumping into abortion funds because they're on the ground doing the work that needs to be done and will need to be done even more aggressively in the next couple of months. What people need to understand, and I'm sure many are familiar, is that people are still going to need reproductive care, and they're just, because of these trigger laws, they're going to need to travel out of state. And that is extremely costly. And it's, you know, it could range up to, you know, a thousand or two thousand with everything when you factor in flights. If you're, if you're flying, if you live in the South, I mean, the 
closest state is going to be probably dc it's not state but yeah i mean it's it's dc it's um new york california i mean those are going to be where people those are the states where people are going to need to go and donating to abortion funds an actual abortion fund not just a national organization that does advocacy around the issue but an actual abortion fund will help mitigate that financial burden for people who desperately need it because otherwise you're going to have situations like lazelle herrera in texas who tried to self-induce and the hospital called the police on her which she was later let go but she should have never been in that situation to begin with so supporting abortion funds is going to be essential yeah, and okay, so I'm I'm going to be careful with what I say here. I'm not kind of trying to be edgy when we talk about this stuff. I do think it's just important to point out, though, especially with all the hand-wringing about this, uh, the protest outside of Kavanaugh's house, and the idea that, like, oh, there's, there's the possibility of violence on the horizon. And it needs to be clear to everyone, though, that these, these laws, these, like, this attack on uh, abortion rights, on reproductive rights, this is inherently violent, right? There's not... There is violence going in one direction um, when it comes to this. And as we, as I mentioned before, there's been a campaign of, of direct violence on the part of these pro-forced birth activists now for decades, firebombing abortion clinics and murdering doctors. I mean, like famously, uh, uh, George Tiller is the most famous case of this, who is talked about often on Fox News on the part of Bill O'Reilly, who regularly called this guy like a baby killer on Fox News right up until the day that he got shot. Um, there's been this campaign of, of systematic violence being waged on the part of, of pro-forced birth activists for a long time now. And a lot of the hypocrisy about the hand wringing about that and about how, okay, we can peacefully protest and we can vote, but that's really the only solution to any of this stuff. It, it does kind of like hand wave away the very real human toll that these kinds of attacks are going to have on actual people who will die, um, who will die of, uh, you know, complications if they're not able to access, uh, abortions, if they, if they access unsafe abortions, this is going to have a very real human cost and it is inherently violent to to uh, institute these laws in the first place um so i think that's something that should always be kept in mind when we see the media or uh, people in the political class start hand-wringing about peaceful protests outside of judges uh, houses when there's actually people that are going to die as a result of this kind of assault on, on reproductive rights right i mean not to mention that basically every like worst case scenario uh has started to manifest like I remember watching Megan McArdle's tweets. I imagine you guys are loosely familiar with Megan McArdle. Yes, um, big fan over here. Big, yep. big centrist brain. Friend of the pod. Uh, she initially tweeted like, you know, I just can't get with people who think that like they're going to go after contraception next. And then someone was like, well, they're literally doing it right now. Uh, like here, here's a link to the laws being passed across the country. And she, like, followed it up being like, well, yeah, but that, like, doesn't apply to all contraception. It applies to birth control pills and Plan B and IUDs. Uh, And, like, you could see the Overton window shifting in her fucking brain, like, over the course of three tweets. Um, And you see that shit happening a lot. Like, I'm just using her as an example. But, like, the brutality of the state laws being proposed and passed right now really can't be overstated. They are deliberately designed to punish uh, anyone who is seeking reproductive health care. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really dangerous situation. It does seem like uh, it's it's just sort of a first domino to fall in a larger battle against a lot of, of 
culture war issues that maybe we thought were were relatively safe. Um, and it doesn't say anything good about the coming uh, political shifts that are happening in the, in the U.S., especially when you think about these next couple of election cycles, which, regardless of any of this stuff, do not look good for liberals and don't look good for the Democratic Party. So, Law Boy, thank you very much for uh, joining us on the podcast to break down these sort of legal aspects of this. Um, highly informative, as usual. Yeah, Great man. to talk to you. Thanks for joining thanks. the thanks Next for joining time, the you guys should just call me Peter. You know, um, it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying. It's just kind of fun. I'm trying to yeah. sort of pivot to uh, a, a real. Gimmicky. Yeah, I'm, I'm a real guy now. You know, okay. I'm a I'm a real analyst. I do real, it's a real boy. stuff. <laughs> I'm doing the full Pinocchio into a real into a real boy. Um, but yeah, that's that's my aspiration. That next time you guys are just like, hey, Peter. You know what's we'll up? Consider it. Uh, we'll we'll take yeah. that into consideration. No I, yeah. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>